Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait. You look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money. A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start saving today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's Law & Marathon winner is Britt Kahn of Portland, Oregon. Britt will get a marathon decal showing she watched 26.2 hours of her favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Brady Carlson, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedural, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories. These are their stories. Welcome to These Are Their Stories, the podcast about Network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspired their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today we're looking at Law & Order Season 3, Episode 8, Prince of Darkness. If Manuel goes belly up, Elvis is on the next plane home. Manuel dies. You prop him up, put a piano in front of him. Nobody knows about this. I want two uniforms on his door. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcast, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Kevin. That's not my real name, but that's the one I'm going with today. All right. So that's a reference I guess we'll get later. Yes. Rebecca, always doing the inside always. jokes. Always. Always. I don't care about the audience at all. <laughs> <laughs> and rounding out our panel is our special guest. On his fourth appearance Holy shit. from the cool, weird, awesome podcast in Wisconsin Public Radio, it's Brady Carlson. Hi, Brady. Hello, but you can call me Elvis just for this one show. <laughs> Elvis. <laughs> a, a Colombian hitman named Elvis, yes. A young, a young Elvis. You're not giving him shit about doing the fake name it's, right now. It's all out the window at this point, <laughs> I guess. I've, I've lost control. We're hijacking your show. 30 seconds into it. Okay, uh... Brady, you know, congratulations on joining the four-timer club. You and Sarah D. Bunting are the only two who have so been appointed. It has really made all of the sacrifices of the last 16 months worth it to hear you mm. say that four times. So if I could drop you in as an extra or a witness in any Law & Order episode, any scene, what would it be? <laughs> um, I would be best as one of the people early on in a Law & Order episode who can't help the detectives and will actually say the words i'm sorry i had the flu that night and also some guy was pressing on my optic nerve so i didn't see the guy who started the fire that <laughs> ended up killing the mayor's mistress i can't help yeah it. well you can't just say that line you also have to be doing something yes. so what do you think it would be would you be a Fishmonger, would you? Retail worker folding sweaters. Would you be a window washer on the 30th floor? A doorman floor? hosing off the sidewalk. That'd be a great one. You could be, like, they could be inside and you could be outside the window with the squeegee. <laughs> <laughs> a squeegee guy would would sort of fit my own personal idiom, I think, yeah. Mm. I'm sorry, I can't help you guys. <laughs> Wait, what? What's that, sir? I said I can't help you. 
Brady, remind us of all the franchises. Which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. I am always for Lenny Briscoe. He is the man and always will be. Um, I'm partial, I believe, to Briscoe and Logan, sort of the original odd couple that is actually on the same page almost all the time. But you can be swayed to Briscoe and Green if I sit on I your can, chest, right? I can be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. No, no, his backup go-to is uh, Lupo and Bernard. Yeah. I loved Lupo and Bernard. And and every time I see a promo for Blackish or any of those cell phone commercials that Anthony Anderson does now, I, I go back to Lupo and Bernard. I mean, mm. I'm just loving that. And who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. It's got to be the Lovebirds. You know, it's it's hang them high, Jack McCoy and Claire Kincaid. May she rest in peace. <laughs> Nobody could make a concerned look in the middle of a, a courtroom conversation that wasn't going quite right as Claire Kincaid could. You know, if Facts. McCoy wasn't getting the witness to say what the witness was supposed to be saying. She'd just come in there with with that concerned look and they'd have the head and shoulders shot right up tight on her. And you just knew everything was going to hell. You knew the shoulder shot was happening because you see all the shoulder pads in the chat. <laughs> with a... And now let's take a look at the first half of this episode. Law and Order Season 3, Episode 8, Prince of Darkness. Manuel and Natalie Ortega and their daughter Felice are enjoying a wonderful restaurant until they aren't. A hitman sprays their table with bullets, killing Natalie and leaving Manuel clinging to life. He came in the back door. Well, I mean, he came in from the kitchen. No, he descended from heaven on a silver chariot. Room full of people, guy comes in, he fires. Is he sending a message? I did it to them, I can do it to you. Close your eyes, keep your mouth shut. Young Felice has been taken in by her Colombian grandmother who insists Manuel is a legitimate travel agent and has nothing to do with the drug trade. He just books lots of trips to South America. At Manuel's apartment, Logan and Soretta find a rare 38 Derringer, the kind used in a recent hit on a Colombian drug dealer. Cragen remembers the feds issuing a warning about a hitman named Gaitan coming to New York for an unknown target. Did Manuel take out a cartel drug dealer, then a cartel hitman come to take out Manuel? Well, trouble is Manuel is still alive, so Gaitan is going to stick around the city until the job's done. Manuel's partner Ramon admits to arranging Gaitan's travel and putting him up in a hotel. He's already checked out, but the detectives learn he made a phone call to his local booty call, Sandra. After Logan gets a call from the world's biggest cell phone, <laughs> they arrest him. <laughs> Returning to Sandra's place, he tells the cops that his name is Paulo Esteban, not Javier Gatan. After some bullshit hearing about international indictments, Stone and Robinette are given four days to prove he's Gatan and connected to the shooting. Soretta gets in touch with a gun dealer who likely sold Gaitan a special left-handed machine gun used in the hit. They called it the Paul McCartney version. Uh, <laughs> they set up a sting to nab George Lebrano and get him to testify. But during the undercover buy, Lebrano gets antsy about the price and shoots Detective Phil Soretta in the stomach. <gasps> well, I wish I was at the casting call for the role of Felice Ortega, because it would have been six hours of little girl screaming mommy. <laughs> mommy, no! Mommy, no! Oh, I know. But what about the casting call for the wife? I mean, it's just a bunch of Karens. 
talking about how they don't want to move to a country with brown people. I mean, I really did feel for the daughter and the dad at that dinner because mom was just like, listen, Belize was nice, but I don't want to be around those people all the time. (laughs) And her husband's like, what do you mean those people? (laughs) I want to talk about the people working in the back of the restaurant. (laughs) The actors. I don't get it. I did voice, dance, movement, two callbacks for guys and dolls. I still can't get a part. Yeah, well, maybe you don't have any talent. Hey, hey, hey. That's my creme brulee. I don't have any talent. Who are you, Tom Cruise? On Law & Order, you don't always see the shootings. You you just see the aftermath. And you, you get the experience of the people who are in the next room over or down the street or in the other part of the train. Um, mm-hmm. And here we get... This guy working in a tux in the back of the restaurant, complaining to the other guy about he's done voice, dance, movement, two callbacks for guys and dolls, and he still can't get a part. This is the this is this guy's life story right here in, in a sense, mm. you know, mm. and and then the other guy just sort of wisecracks. Well, maybe you don't have any talent, which I just thought was extremely rich coming from this show, which spent 20 years hiring every working actor in New York for parts like these. Yeah. It's really meta when you think about it. It was extremely meta. It was just like, you know, all of these people who come on and do these bit parts, like, what are they now saying about them? Well, here's a little bit of nostalgia. Manuel ran a travel agency. Remember those? (laughs) Yeah. Before the internet. Man, the profit margin on a business that can afford that office (laughs) and two apartments and a place in Sag Harbor, no wonder they hate Expedia. (laughs) And, you know, when I was watching this back, it, occurred to me that the people in these episodes from like season one, season two, season three, you know, some of them ended up with sentences of like 20 to 25 years in prison. They're out now. Yeah. That's how old <laughs> these episodes are. Absolutely. You know, if they, if they, if, they, if anybody in this episode got a 25 year prison sentence, they'd be out in what, like 2017. So yeah. like they're, they're old news, you know, they're rehabilitated. They came out in 2017. They were like, who's president? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is a rather complicated setup. You've got basically a chase that keeps going in circles with the detectives always like one step behind figuring out what's going on or finding their hitman. Uh, But they feel like they caught a break when they find the gun used to kill Abraham Lincoln. Not before (laughs) they find, by the way. The framed photo of a man's car. So Manuel not only takes care of mom, he takes care of himself. Brand new Porsche. Who frames a photo of their car? That's what I know. I don't know. <laughs> Did anyone else notice that, Brady? Like yeah. when you bought your new minivan, when you had like your 20th kid or how many kids you have now, did you frame a photo of your minivan and put it in your home. Did you or did you not do that? I I did not do that. I do own a bunch of frames, but I have not had time to put anything in the frames. Mm. That's sort of where I'm at. Maybe that's just another one of those generational differences. Maybe in the (laughs) 90s, people just had so much time, you know, because the Cold War was over. They didn't have anything to worry about. So they're like, I know, I'll just take pictures of my car. Well, you've got to remember, at this point, you take a picture of your car but then you'd have to take that film down to CVS, <laughs> and then you check the, then you check the box whether you want double prints or you want another roll of film for free, <laughs> and then you have to come back in a week and go through and you know double prints. You put some aside, mm. and then you take the one that you like, and then you put it in the frame that you got at Sears, and then you'd put it up. And now you just put it on your phone. 
Brady, you know uh, Soretta did not actually come from money because he calls it a Porsche. <laughs> Porsche, yeah. I love that. What do you call it, Kevin? It's a Porsche. Yeah. When I was growing up on Long Island, we called it a Porsche. It's also sort of like a New York thing. You know, it really is. Although we were all trash, so there's that too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, take a look at our cast. Let's start with our Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Can you tell us who's playing the girlfriend, Sandra Alvaro? 10, 12 years ago in Bogota, I knew him as a boy. Our parents played tennis together. I just gave him a place to sleep. She was a detective on Miami Vice. Yes. The actress's name is uh, Sandra Santiago. She was Detective Gina Calbrisi on Miami Vice. Uh, she had an on and off thing with Crockett. Her job was mostly posing as a prostitute and then locating the paperwork, just like Profaci. <laughs> oh. <sighs> Profaci. Wait, which one was Crockett? Was that, was that, uh, that was Don, Don Johnson. Johnson. That was Don Johnson, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sandra S- Santiago is a trained singer. Nice. And uh, she never put out her own album, but unfortunately we can't say the same for Don Johnson or (laughs) Philip Michael Thomas. Yeah, true. I've heard that whole album, and you're not wrong. The whole thing? Not just heartbeat? Not just heartbeat. No, it's... uh, Wow, the whole thing. Brady's a completist, if nothing else. (laughs) I got to go for the grand effect. I got to say it's a toss-up between uh, the record that uh, Bruce Willis did on this one. I forgot about Bruce Willis. I actually had the Bruce Willis album. (laughs) (laughs) Respect yourself. Na, na, Uh, na, na. That one, yeah. That one, yes, yes. I think we probably just got kicked off of Spotify. So. <laughs> if you hear this episode on Spotify, thank God. Look, Cassandra would later appear on The Sopranos as Tony's neighbor, Jean, and her twin sister, Joan. <laughs> Good for her. Good for her. You can get paid double on that one. We do have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Who's the actor playing the gun dealer, George Lebrano? You got the money, all the money. Let me see it. I got to see it first. Put it out here. Let me see. Let me see. I don't know what his name is, but I know he's the bell ding, ding, ding guy from Breaking Bad. Right. His name is Mark Margolis, nominated for an Emmy as Hector Salamanca on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. You know his face, uh, but like I said, you remember it attached to the bell on his wheelchair he used to communicate. Look, in 2017, he had an accident on the set of Better Call Saul. He had a fall which required brain surgery. To relieve some swelling. Really? Yeah, he made a full recovery, but you know he was already doing most of his acting from in the wheelchair, mm-hmm. so I mean, he wasn't a lot of running around. It was probably it's convenient. Convenient for you know for his recovery, and he's still kicking it. He had a chance to uh, take out Gus Freeman. Yeah, he did that. He Gus had Fring. A, Gus, what is it? Fring. Gus Fring. Yeah. Fring. Fring. Yes. Who's Gus Freeman? I don't know. Gus Fring is the character on Get Rid of Those All. I'm he terrible did, with names. And even he I did get a chance up. to do that. He he didn't get to take out Paul Servino. Right. Uh, he also had a chance of taking out Scarface mm. in the movie there. He had he was the one who had the detonator ready to blow up the car, Brady, but he just, uh, I forget what happened to him. But, but can we just say one thing before we get to that? Yeah. He actually manages to look older in this episode <laughs> yeah. than he does in Breaking Bad, which was filmed like what? 25 years later? Yeah. yeah. He looks like Jeff Dunham's old man puppet. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> sort of like a very late career Lee Van Cleef in this episode. It's <laughs> like right. he's about to die. <laughs> what, what a range, though. I mean, you know, he's, he's best known for this role in the Breaking Bad universe, you know, where, like, he kind of keeps everybody waiting in the bell scene. And here he's, you know, he's basically just like, 
coke bender agitated you know yeah. i mean it's like a 30 second scene like you here for the gun that i want to sell you and then like he shoots sorvino and like does, says like seven thousand words in between those two things so yeah it's, he's really kind of flying off the walls the whole time yeah yeah also he was in oz which also co-starred uh what's his face chris maloney and uh, J.K. Simmons. Oh, of course. Who I was? See, I never actually. Who was? <laughs> I never see the whole thing is you always forget. I never actually saw Oz. We only talk about it on this show. I feel like I've seen Oz through the lens of well, this show. Well, just pay attention because it's going to come up every <laughs> once in a while. Who recognized the actor playing Frank Hoover, the defense attorney for our courthouse shooter? Will the jury be weeping over the scum you painted as a monster? I don't think the publicity windmill is exactly blowing in your direction. That actor's name is Lonnie Price. He's probably best known as Neil Kellerman, the would-be suitor to Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing. Shut it. Yeah. Oh, that douche. Yeah, he hasn't really had a, a breakout hit acting, but he has won two Emmy Awards for directing. Hmm. Uh, he was on PBS's Great Performances. It was for Sweeney Todd and a uh, Sondheim birthday concert. Well, good for... Oh, that's the one with Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. See, yeah. no one puts Lonnie in a corner. Okay, forget, <laughs> forget what I said about that first guy's range. When you can go from playing Jennifer Grey's boyfriend, a suitor guy in dirty dancing and then direct great performances on pbs that's range that is range he has so many like non-steps to lenny briscoe like in his career it's really kind of incredible when you think about it well that he like beats him to the law and order by one and a half yes. episode and then he also puts baby in a corner then he does put baby in a corner. <laughs> like there was an actual there was a successful actor sitting in the back of the courtroom didn't have any lines could barely see him over the shoulder, but I just wanted to point him out. One of the spectators in the courtroom was Andre Rojo. He'd go on to play Bubbles, the street junkie on The Wire. Oh, yeah. Remember him? And he's had 60 appearances as uh, Terrence Howard's lawyer in Empire. He'd have 100 appearances if he'd been Jesse Smollett's lawyer. <laughs> Very funny. <laughs> uh, did you spot the guy playing Gitan's defense attorney, Chris Minetti? I love that guy. I don't know. I don't know who he is, but I love that guy. I don't care what that court did. It's wrong. You can't have a witness that I can't cross-examine. That gentleman is Joe Lissy. Ten Law & Order franchise appearances. If you were a fan of Third Watch, you'd know him as Lieutenant Skorsky, who ran the 55th Precinct for six seasons. I loved Third Watch, by the way. Loved you loved it. Third Watch? Oh, my God, I loved it. Uh, so did you recognize him? Nope. <laughs> yeah. You loved it a lot, apparently. Uh, like he was a New York Police Department captain who retired after 24 years and then became an actor. He made his Broadway debut at age 52. Hmm. His resume has him listed as playing a cop 19 times. Wow. And one time as the teacher in the ABC after school special High School Narc. <laughs> Save your theatrics, man. Save your theatrics. <laughs> High school narc whose message taught kids, be careful who you buy your drugs from. <laughs> so Logan has this theory that because uh, Gaetan likes to shoot left-handed, that he'd want a gun that ejects the cartridges the opposite way. 
So they used the name of a con who'd buy guns and they start calling illegal dealers and Soretta gets a guy on the line and he answers the question by saying, I'm a friend of Tommy's. What do I sound like a cop? <laughs> I don't know. All the typewriters going on behind you. The guy at the other desk also asking for uh, dealers. I don't know. You tell me. Never mind the other person asking the same questions yeah. right next to me. Probably should have tipped that gun dealer off when he heard somebody come behind them yelling, has anybody seen the LUDs I'm looking for? <laughs> So, man, there are 10 million guns in the Naked City, but just none like the ones ever used by the people in this episode. Correct. It was a big stretch. Yeah. Do you happen to have this one gun that was just involved in a high-profile killing at a restaurant that everyone in New York is supposedly talking about? Oh, yes, I have two of them. Would you like one? <laughs> I'll only sell it to you for $3,500 to $4,000. <laughs> we'll work out the details of that later. There's a great detail. Um, Soretta feels like he has to buff his nails to meet with a gun dealer. <laughs> because if the gun dealer can't see his own reflection in his nails, he'll know he's a cop. Like, what the actual fuck? I Brady, do you do that before you meet with cops? Uh, I, I don't really buff my nails really for anybody. Um, except, <laughs> yeah. except for myself. <laughs> the takedown of uh, the drug dealer that they first call Elvis because he got slick back hair. And then his later, we know him as... Uh, Gaetan, who later says that he's Pablo Esteban. Anyway, when they take him out, they uh, decided they're going to lure him back to Sandra's apartment, and they have six SWAT teams. Mm. Four here, two across the street, and the way they contact Logan is by calling him on a cell phone, which is the size of a brick. Zach Morris. <laughs> yeah. Zach, and he just pulls it out of nowhere. Yeah, Logan. Okay, thanks. Sandra just took the call. Meantime, Cragen's got a walkie-talkie that's the size of his hand. <laughs> Who dialed the seven numbers and said, oh, he's coming. Okay. Hey, I think I see him. All right. Two, boop, zero, boop, two, boop, five, boop. Sorry, your call cannot be completed as dialed. Did you, like me, Brady, like have a total spit-take, laugh-your-ass-off moment when out of frame he pulls the Zach Mars phone. And his <laughs> I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, "Wait, where did that come from?" You know, it would have been it would have been less surprising if he had like pulled an elephant out of his pocket. Yeah, <laughs> or if he'd used that giant cell phone any other time in the series. <laughs> it was it was obviously lent to him. So once Logan has this idea that maybe you know the bullet casing trail is backwards, that it would mean that it was a different kind of weapon. Uh, they end up going to the book. Yeah. The 223 automatic. Who makes it? Stair Aug Commando 223, Austrian. High velocity, virtually no recoil, adjustable ejector left or right. Ah, here's the gun. And then it just sort of turns it sideways and it's like, Gun Digest, which is apparently the yellow pages of guns. The police department's every gun ever book. Yeah. That's right. It was right yeah. next to the Sea Monkeys advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> so the writers knew that Paul Sorvino was going to be leaving the show, so they wrote this scene first and then built the story out around that, the rest of the episode. Really? Yeah so complicated well it, it maybe that's why because they just have this party for him and like that's the episode you never see anybody just like oh you know what i've decided to move on you know i'm pursuing <laughs> other opportunities or my yeah. wife got a job in texas so we're moving there next month no it, it has to be something horrible and, and tragic i think only angie Harmon got the i got a new job 
departure. Everyone else had something a little but more dramatic. But I'll be just dramatic. across the street. <laughs> yeah, just across the street. We can have these walking salads whenever we want. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't with Sorvino. They didn't play the Serena Sutherland card. You know where the like Captain Cragen sits him down and says, "Sorry, Phil, this isn't working out." And he goes, "Is this because I'm a lesbian?" <laughs> Is this because I'm a lesbian? No, she's not, not, not a lesbian. They could say it's definitely not because you're a lesbian. As a matter of fact, it is not, Phil. Yeah. So when the writers wrote this scene, they didn't want like the suave criminal and the suave cop, like one of those kinds of undercover scenes where everybody's really cool. They wanted them both to be nervous so that we would be nervous. And I got to say, I think that this scene is pretty shocking. It's not okay. You should like it. You don't like it. You ought to be paying more. You got the extra 500. Come up with it now. It's a good buy. It's fine. It's fine. You want to be Mr. 10%? Here's your 10%. Mr. Well, what's shocking about it is that Sorvino, after being shot twice in the gut, managed Teddy Roosevelt style, still grab the guy and fucking take him down. No, that was Logan. Uh, I don't Servino know. Servino no, just no, no. fell to the no, corner. No. Paul Servino actually also like had a moment where he was like still with it. It was, I thought, oh. pretty exciting. He, he sort of held him in place. Like he couldn't really do anything except just like put his weight on the guy. Yes, he was a And bookend. then like by then Logan was able to... <laughs> I'm sorry, come out of the closet and then... Yes. I forgot Logan was actually hiding in the closet, yes. And then they were able... And then, like, you know... Who thought Logan was the last sort of, you know, And then, kind of from the hallway, then, like, Cragen and the Pussycats all run in and then, like, <laughs> you know, swarm and then everybody's screaming. Oh, they all stop screaming just long enough for Soretta to make his big statement, you know, as he's starting to pass out. Phil... <coughs> 30 years, charm life. I never even fired. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And then he goes, ah. Yeah, he starts doing that spasm. It's weird. And then it's like, I'm just going to be in the hospital and everything's going to be fine. He's very (laughs) anticlimactic. Honestly, and maybe this is because I watch too much old TV, but like when they came back from the commercial break and then it's like Logan and Cragen and Robinette all hanging out at the hospital. I started thinking of Seinfeld when they're all waiting to find out about Susan and the toxic <laughs> envelopes. <laughs> you know, this was supposed to be the summer of Soretta. That's yeah. right. The summer of Soretta. Hey, look, in 20 years, though, I mean, I think we can count the on screen shootings of our main characters. Can we? On one hand. Really? Over 20 seasons. All right, so count and go ahead. Uh, Max Green. Mary, mother of God. <laughs> uh, the shooting here with Servino. Uh, Ed Green got shot. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, it ain't none of my business, Kenny, but you ever think about not getting any on the side? No. Never had to my mind. Yo, Kenny. Uh, and uh, this is so he could go off and make rent. Uh, let's see. There was someone who shot at Bernardo and Lupo, right? There was a scene in, a, in the hallway. Police! Get down! Get down! Police, stay down! For a cop show, right? Which is sort of built on... Chases and sirens and gunfire. Law and Order didn't have a lot of that. And this happened really fast. Yeah. It was it, Which is how it actually happens, probably, right? Right. right. It, it was not telegraphed. You just pulled the gun real fast, shot him. It was I thought it was shocking. Rebecca, I watched you watch this and you went, Oh shit. Yeah. But yeah, no, that actually was very, very shocking. I have I don't think I've ever seen this episode before. When I did, it was literally the year I graduated high school. So yeah, I was very surprised to see a famous actor who I knew had been on the show, just surprised get shot in the gut by wheelchair bell guy 
out of nowhere. It was actually, I thought, kind of cool because it's actually the way sometimes violence goes down. It's not expected. It's not telegraphed. It just happens. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. Sling. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. Soretta's alive, but he may have spinal damage, and the arrest of gun dealer Lebrano for shooting the cop only makes their case against the hitman more complicated. I'm not saying we'll plead him, Mike, but if you can identify Gaetan... Let me ask you something. If the son of a bitch had shot Stone, would you even think of pleading? My partner might spend the rest of his life on wheels! You want Lebrano too bad. Schiff says that the feds want to cut Gaetan a deal to testify in their drug cases, but Stone still wants to try him for murder. They need Lebrano, and Soretta blesses their decision to cut him a deal for his cooperation. The defense says the man on trial is truly Paulo Esteban, but Manuel's mother says no, he's Javier Gaetan, El Diablo, the Prince of Darkness. Stone plays hardball with girlfriend Sandra, getting a statement incriminating Gaetan, but after a mysterious jailhouse phone call, she changes her mind. After referencing more obscure case law to advance the plot, they just read her deposition in open court. So dramatic. Mm. The jury finds Gaetan guilty, and as he leaves before sentencing, he's gunned down in front of the courthouse. <gasps> no es posible. <laughs> si es posible. Si es posible. <laughs> the Colombian Jack Ruby is Mr. Cristobal. 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 Mr. Crystal Ball, like Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball. Well, you need a Crystal Ball to find out that it's... That's true. Yeah, okay. Mr. Crystal Ball, he's distraught over El Diablo's murder of his son back home. Robinette offers generous terms for a guilty plea, but Cristobal asks... Crystal Ball. Crystal Ball asks for time to put his affairs in order. Lebrano steps in and says that Crystal Ball... No? I got it right. I got it right that time. Crystal Ball is a fake... That he's also a Colombian hitman and he's jumped bail. Schiff gets a call saying both gun dealer Lebrano and Manuel's business partner were killed in prison. And Manuel's mother fell out a window. And when asked what happened to Manuel's little daughter, Schiff says, well, she got picked up at school by her uncle. But Stone says she doesn't have an uncle. (gasps) So out of 456 episodes, IMDb users rank this episode as the 11th Best episode of all time. <gasps> Law and Order superfan Charlie Pierce of Esquire says this is his favorite, or this is the be- the best episode. And after years of trying, 
and not joking here, trying to get Charlie Pierce to come on and talk about this episode. You mean like, wait, wait, don't tell me it's Charlie yes. Pierce? Yes. <laughs> okay. He still stood us up, so we had to say, okay, I guess we'll call Brady. Yeah. And Brady said yes. Brady can probably do Charlie Pierce if we want him to. This, this, this sort of makes up, I, I know Charlie Pierce once had to fill in on very short notice for another Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me panelist, so that now he's like even cosmically. Yeah, yes. that's it, that's it. But I will say, this is a great episode, but it's a bleak episode. Well, so there comes a point in this episode where everyone who tells on a person or does something to a person is also killed. Mm-hmm. So I was like, this is just a carousel of killing. One person goes in and testifies, and they come out of the courtroom steps, and they're killed. So some some witness to that killing goes into the courthouse and testifies, and then they come out, and they're killed. I did feel a little bit like I was on a carousel of death written by Shirley Jackson at some point during this episode. Brady, did you find yourself thinking like... We're just on a like a conveyor, a sushi conveyor belt of death during this episode. It really felt that way the whole time. I mean, this is something that in the early days of Law and Order they loved to do. One of the big Law and Order tropes was the super scary, super efficient, incredibly ruthless foreign mob. I mean, I think of the episode mm. in the, the next others. season. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they do kind of other these people, but the Russian mob, the, the Russian mob yeah. that winds up killing Alice and Janney off. Sorry, who anybody who hasn't watched season four, but the Russian mob that killed Alice and Janney in season He's four. He's a spoiler alert from 30 years yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which, which gave the writers the excuse for Ben Stone to resign. Oh, thank God. And had right. nothing to do. Hallelujah. Had nothing to do with Janet Reno. <laughs> It was the Russian mob all along. They were interfering even on Law and Order. Well, okay, let's start with Soretta for a second. His storyline doesn't officially close until the next episode. This is when Briscoe is already teamed with Logan. And, of course, they start off, they don't like each other. Of course. You know, Logan, I don't have any problems with your jinx. Is that so? Hey, two partners shot. A lot of guys that say you're a black cat. The fact is, my ex-wives are both thrilled I got this. They're under the mistaken impression that I'm heavily insured. Hey, Briscoe, don't forget it's a temp job. Briscoe's character is a little bit, he's using ethnic slurs and everybody thinks he's dirty and he's not really he the lovable a, like, of cash in his pocket, right? Oh, you're thinking of... Uh, Green. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm thinking of what's-his-face. Green wished he had a load no, of I'm thinking of what's his cash face. in his pocket. Uh, white mustache guy, my favorite actor of Joe all time. Joe Fontana. The entire Joe Law Fontana. Order universe. Yes. yes. J-Lo's dad from Out of Sight. Uh, so later on, we'll see Logan visit Soretta in the hospital, and he explains that there's some nerve damage to his legs. I'm not going to be in the street with you anymore. What I'm saying is that even with the physical therapy and everything, as your partner, I wouldn't be 100%. Hey, now, wait a minute, Phil. Any percent you give is enough. Not for me. And he's been offered a desk job at the 110 and now Logan can move on and accept Lenny as his new partner. Now, when when Briscoe retired, when we did the Briscoe retire episode, we did talk about Paul Sorvino, who, according to Paul Sorvino, is one of the seven greatest living actors. <laughs> <laughs> and the one of the seven most likely to tell you that he's in that country. Yeah, yeah. He didn't like how cold New York was, he, so he thought he was going to lose his opera voice. Mm. And, he, and Brady started wearing that Russian Cossack hat. He just brought it to the set. I love that hat. Him, yeah. I do love the scene when he's in the hospital and Logan doesn't want him to agree that they're going to make the deal with the gun dealer, George Lebrano. And then he sort of explains why he's okay with it. He goes, Mike, Mike, I can walk. I can talk. I can. 
All the important things. All the important things. Like, yeah, fuck. He was like, talking I was, about fucking. I was, okay, so we're all in agreement. That's what he was saying yeah. without yeah. just outright saying it. I don't know how he tested that. Did I have a nurse come over? And But can we just say this was the real tribute to Paul Servina? They did not fucking need Serena's permission. It was a show. Like, the whole thing was it would be, it's not like the DA needs to actually get the cop's permission whether or not to put this guy on the stand or not. It was really just an opportunity for them to go to Paul Sorvino and for him to give his blessing, right? Mm-hmm. I was sitting there, I was like, Logan was like, you don't have to do this, man. I'm like, no, you don't, because they could just go ahead and like do that anyway. Without Which, your like, permission. if Jack McCoy was in in the ADA spot at that point, like he would have just gone ahead and done it. Oh, yeah. Like Stone, of course, is Mister Bleeding Heart, and like, oh, I want to check with everybody first. Well, we but yeah, McCoy was just like, uh, you know, you can just sit there and recover. I'm going to take care of business. <laughs> yeah, it's also a chance for uh, Michael Moriarty to come in and have a scene with Paul Servino where again he doesn't look at him he's just looking at the pie plate <laughs> that they put up off camera I feel like you need to explain that every time like sorry that's what Michael Moriarty did but like they the context w- is people who have not listened to that particular episode Michael Moriarty was so weird that he wouldn't look at people because he felt like they were stealing his soul that's right which is why when you see him talk to somebody and he's looking at their forehead he is actually just looking at their forehead. He doesn't want to make the eye contact. And actors became so uncomfortable with that that they would have a stand-in that was literally a pie plate on a stick. And that's what he would be acting to. The best. The best story I've ever heard from behind the scenes in my entire career doing podcasts about TV. Real talk. Pie plate on a stick. Not the worst actor they've ever had on this <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> That's not true. even close. Was pie- the pie plate a lesbian, though? That's the That's real a, question. <laughs> a lesbian pie plate. Well, did, did Fred Thompson's character fire it? If <laughs> not, why? No, 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 no. So Sandra won't testify that Gaetan uh, visited her apartment before the hit. And she's afraid that the She's afraid of the cartel, right? She should be. Well, sure. I mean, they fucking kill everyone. Yeah. She's the only one alive outside of the, the DA's office and the police precinct <laughs> at the yeah. end of the episode. She's it. Last woman standing, folks. Well, Stone, uh, again, it was just Michael Moriarty staring at a pie plate. Uh, he threatens <laughs> He threatens to release her from jail and then announce they have a witness so that the bad guys will think that she's a snitch. He's in a hurry. Press conference. We're announcing a new prosecution witness expected to solidify our case. What's your friend Gaetan going to think when you get out of jail? This is not you, Ben. This is definitely me, Sally. When a cop gets shot building a case, I want a conviction. He threatens her with the appearance of cooperation in order to get her cooperation. Correct. Like, there's so many fucking civil rights violations in this episode. Along with, like, just the stupid decisions. Like, by the way, the cartel also made a fucking stupid decision by murdering people who weren't actually witnesses and like letting the actual witness just like go. Like it's yeah. <laughs> like so if they already had decisions. a Colombian hitman in New York, why do they have to fly Gaitan up just so that they could uh, have yes. to kill him later too? Yes, they had Mr. Fake Dad there. They could have just gone with he that guy. Just, <laughs> he could have gone to the restaurant. He didn't need a fucking left-handed machine gun. So a judge in Mr. Cristobal's case makes... Cristobal. Cristobal's case. <laughs> well, the judge makes a surprise ruling. We asked the court to release Mr. Cristobal two days before the final sentencing so that he may say goodbye to his family and put his affairs in order. Mr. Robinette. Mr. Cristobal confessed to a homicide, Your Honor. And a terrible crime it is. Do you know what they say, Mr. Robinette? Doing to others? 
Uh, everyone makes a big deal that she let a confessed killer walk out of the courthouse, but he's going to jail because they let a convicted killer walk out of the courthouse before sentencing. Hmm. So, like, fool me once. That's why he wears the black robes, Kevin. That's why he wears the black robes. <laughs> so in the final scene, Schiff gets the longest phone call in the history of Law and Order. Literally. Yes. I timed it 25 seconds. They're usually six. Mm-hmm. 25 seconds of us waiting and waiting for what is going on. Not an accident? Thanks. There is this godfather-like string of coordinated hits on everyone involved. The gun dealer was in the yard at Rikers. Had his throat cut. Buena Ventura was strangled in the kitchen at Danamora. Manuel Ortega's mother fell out of a window. What about the little girl? She was picked up at school by her uncle. She doesn't have an uncle. And so instead of getting three separate phone calls every time somebody died, someone said, hey, wait, before we call the DA, let's see if something else happens. (laughs) Maybe I can just make this one phone call. No, no, don't call him yet. There's still like three more witnesses. Yeah, let's try to give him some good news. Oh, he he got the gun dealer too? Oh, shit. But not the jurors who actually- At least grandma's okay. But not the jurors who actually proclaimed him guilty, right? Yeah, they're all fine, too. I was like, why do people keep standing up to these people? The judge is, like, being sassy. The jurors are being sassy. I'm like, oh, my God, all these guys are going to be dead. They're all going to be dead. But no, it was just people who... And this is my question. Brady, can I ask you a question about this episode? Of course. So the young daughter, who we found at the very end in the blackout scene, is has been picked up by school by her, quote, uncle, which apparently she doesn't have, and we're supposed to infer that she's dead, right, Kevin? Uh, yeah, the, yes. The daughter witnessed the shooting of her parents by a guy who is now dead. What possible threat does this, like, 11-year-old pose to a Colombian cartel? And if they were just going to pick her up with a fake uncle, why didn't he just shoot her then? Because <laughs> they're polite. It's, a, it's all about sending a message. Yeah. It's about sending a message. She was too young then, but a couple of weeks later after the trial and everything, then no, now she's old enough. They're letting her ripen. Yeah. Like a banana. Ew. Ew. <laughs> Putting her in the freezer so I can make a smoothie with her later. My, fa- my favorite scene in this whole episode is the phone call scene. Schiff is just grunting for like 30 seconds on network television. <laughs> <laughs> 25 seconds. You I know, timed I mean, it. 25 like, seconds. Stephen Hill is famous for, he'd get his script and he'd tell the writers he had too many lines, you know, which yes. how many actors do that? He'd be like, no, I want less dialogue. My character doesn't talk. And I mean, this is like the big dramatic reveal of, of everything that this episode has led up to. And he's just grunting for yeah. almost a half a minute. And then he just goes, not an accident. And then all of a sudden, everybody in the room, like they perk up and they're they're trying to figure out what he people are saying to him on the phone but it's just such a great performance all i will say is i will actually uh compare stephen hill Mm -hmm. to one of my other favorite tv actors who disdains every line they're given and everybody and every scene they're with which is shannon doherty (laughs) to me (laughs) shannon doherty's whole vibe on beverly hills 90210 is i hate you i hate you i hate you and i hate everything i have to say Stephen Hill, as you always say, Kevin, 
fucking hates everything he has to say, both as a character and as an actor, and who appears to hate everything about his job, both in real life and on screen. Yes or no? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and then phone call, he's like, oh, Jesus. Why couldn't someone throw me out the fucking <laughs> Have you heard? Sling TV offers the news you love for less. Hey, wait, you look and sound just like me. I am you. I'm the same news programs on Sling TV for less. You mean you're me, but for less money? A lot less. I'm all the favorite news programs and more on Sling TV, starting at just $40 a month. Everything great about me, but for less money? Which makes me greater, don't you think? Get the news you love and more for less. Start Start saving saving today. today. Visit Sling.com to see your offer. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. This episode takes cues from characters from the real-life Colombian drug war of the 1990s. The hitman in this story is loosely based on the most infamous Colombian enforcer of them all, John Jairo Velasquez. He was known by the nickname Popeye because he looked so much like the cartoon character Popeye. After dropping out of several military and police academies, Velasquez became the personal hitman for drug lord Pablo Escobar of the ruthless Medellin drug cartel. Velasquez is credited with more than 250 killings, many of them politicians, police officers and military officials who got in the way of their cocaine operation. During his time with the cartel, Velasquez is said to have kidnapped a future Colombian president, a future vice president and murdered a governor and a presidential candidate. He even killed his own wife when it was discovered she became a police informant. In 1992, Velasquez surrendered to justice officials and was sentenced to 30 years in prison. He was released on probation in 2014 and made news telling tales about his days as a drug hitman. Okay, Popeye Velasquez died in February 2020 of esophageal cancer. R.I.P. R.I.P. Popeye. He studied how to give manicures and pedicures as a young man, which uh, must be where he learned to be comfortable with inflicting pain. Mm. <laughs> Brady's had, a, I guess, a pedicure once in his life. or Pedicures don't hurt. Have you ever actually had one? They don't hurt. I Yeah. Maybe they hurt you because your calluses were intense, but... Man, I, Brady, I think like when they cut your nails, they cut them way too close, right? <laughs> Half of this episode has been about my nails. I feel like I should post a picture or something now. Yes. Mm. Can I see my face in them? That's the question. Yeah. Yes. Look, they called him Popeye because he looked like the cartoon character. Uh, not because he had the bulky forearms with the anchor tattoos, uh, but he had the big protruding chin. Uh, That's which- just mean. That's like, mean? That's like a mean thing to call you Popeye for. I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, you wouldn't want to make a hitman upset. <laughs> I'm sure the plastic surgery uh, made him less scary. Mm. Uh, Velasquez kidnapped, as I said, a future president of Colombia, the future vice president, killed a governor, a presidential candidate, a police colonel, and planted a bomb on an airplane that killed 110 people. Brady, if something is worth doing, uh, it's worth doing well. <laughs> I, I just read a, one of those pieces of dad wisdom the other day that, you know, you do what you should first and then you do what you want. I, I don't know. Is he does he subscribe to that? Is that I, I think he might be doing what he wants first. 
years? That may be, yeah. <laughs> I'm not 100, though, because it also seems like he did accomplish the goals, right? He's very efficient. Uh, yeah, I mean. I mean, if the goal was to make people scared of you and kill people, like, he's kind of good at that. A plus, plus, Popeye. Yeah, I mean, you would think that would me- mean that people are not interested in him mm. or afraid of him. He has an official website. He does. Yeah, it's or he did anyway. It's he still, did. Yeah, it's elpapai.com. Shut the fuck up. He also ran a YouTube channel where he commented on Colombian current events. From prison? No, we got out of prison. Oh, so he got like a, it was like a 1991 sentence, like like this right. He, he was released in 2014. How do you get released and, after you planted a bomb in an airplane that killed 110 people? Uh, people like Popeye. I don't know. <laughs> just the idea of like, I mean, just having watched this episode and thinking like, if that character had lived, and then decades later, you know, he had gone from being known as the Prince of Darkness, El Diablo, to the guy who says. Hey, guys, don't forget to smash that subscribe button like I smashed the former president of my country. <laughs> yes. It's just, I mean, whoa. Yeah, that's the way to do it. That's the you way can, to do it. I mean, that's reinventing yourself. And like in the 2000s, we know, like, not to get dark or anything. But if you just know somebody, if by the way, if you're not American and you know somebody who said they might possibly put a bomb on a plane that killed 110 people, like, you're going to Guantanamo Bay, like, forever. Mm. Ex-judicial, like, horrible sentencing. This guy had a website and a fan group and a YouTube channel? I mean, I gotta say, like, I am pro, you know, criminal justice reform, so, like, I'm disgusted, but also kind of proud of Popeye, I gotta say. Well, if you remember earlier in the episode, I said that Charlie Pierce, the uh, magazine writer, identified this as his favorite episode. And we, I have tried for a couple of years to get his attention to come on. So I will say that Cy Freighter originally recorded this a long time ago. So long that Popeye was alive. Wow! They did it. So we had to cut out the last sentence. Nice. Which, which so let's see, what did it say? I forgot what it said. Today... Popeye Velasquez operates a YouTube channel where he comments on current events. He doesn't do that anymore. He he has died. He did have almost 2 million followers. Shit! On YouTube. That was uh, monetizable in a big way. Yeah. Meantime, the These Other Stories YouTube channel has 6 subscribers. Yes. Do we even have a YouTube channel? Like, why do we have that? Well, it's just in case. <laughs> so can I ask you a question? Yeah. Are you going to use this episode to try to entice Charlie Pierce to be on a future episode and be like, look what you missed, dude. Yeah, look what you missed, Charlie. Suck it. <laughs> that is going to do it for us. We want to thank our special guest, Charlie Pierce, fill in Brady Carlson. <laughs> Brady, where can our listeners follow you online? You can find me at my website, BradyCarlson.com, or my podcast website, CoolWeirdAwesome.com, which I think actually redirects to my website. So just either one is fine. And Rebecca Lavoie, where can our listeners follow you? Well, they can follow me at Reb Lavoie, or they can just watch the Tom Clancy movie, Clear and Present Danger, and also get another version of this Law & Order episode. But no, I'm at Reb Lavoie on Instagram and Twitter. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn, and you can also tweet to us at Law & Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Are Their Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freighter. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Billy Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Are the Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com. 
or Law & Order Pod, or theseatherstoriespodcast.com. We own them all. Mm. And sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Are Their Stories was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.